Sometimes it's hard talking to friends and family about the job that I do. So you're pro-sustainability, yeah, you're trying to, to live the best way you can, but you also work for an airline. It is especially important that people that care for the environment are working in an industry like this, because this is the place where you can make a change. Really committing to a target that's based on science. I'm really proud we did that as a company. Hello and welcome to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to explore the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet, servicing their most inspiring solutions. I'm David Archer, Editorial Manager at Destination Think, and as always, I'm recording from the village of Dajingids, British Columbia, which is in Haida Gwaii, the territory of the Haida Nation. And I'm Sarah Raymond Dubois, Associate Creative Director at Destination Think. I'm recording from Seattle, Washington on Coast Salish land, specifically that of the Duwamish, Suquamish, Stillaguamish, and Muckleshoot people. On this podcast, we look at the role of travel and choose to highlight destinations that are global leaders. We talk to the changemakers who are addressing regenerative travel through action in their communities and often from the bottom up. And we're always actively looking for the best examples of efforts to regenerate economies, communities, and ecosystems. So be sure to reach out if you have a story to share with us. So in the last two episodes, we heard from Jos Franken and Avout Verschloot at the Netherlands Board of Tourism and Conventions. In both those episodes, aviation and long-haul markets came up as a topic that has shaped the new tourism ambition. So on that note, David, I have a few trivia questions for you, if you're game. <laughs> I'm game. I'm not really prepared for this, but I guess that's what trivia questions are. So yes, let's surprise. go. All right. At any given time, how many people in the world are airborne on a plane? Let me think about this. So let's say there are, I don't know, 5,000 planes in the air at any time. And if there were like 100 people on each plane, that would be 500,000. 500,000. How's that? I, I scoured the internet for this, but the fact is the, <laughs> the number, so it must be true. The number that a lot of sources land on is somewhere around a million people at any given time are in the air and perhaps six million people flying around the world each day. That's like a city. Wow. That's enormous. That's much bigger than I would have yes. thought. There are some that would put it at closer to what you say, 500,000. But this is a uh, trivia for discussion, not trivia set in stone. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So my next question, do you know what percentage of people on Earth have ever been on a plane? Oh, okay. Not everyone, but quite a few people, especially in the last couple of decades. I guess 40%? So this is a range because, again, multiple sources. We hear some numbers as high as 20% of the world has been on a plane. And sometimes that is actually as low as 5%. I've sometimes seen 3% in places. I believe it's closer to 5% is the number that was being discussed with some of the other people we spoke with at City DNA. So somewhere between wow. 5 and 20%. So not a lot, not as many as you would think. Yeah, from, from, way less than I thought. Yeah, especially from, from our perspective where plane travel has become such a, a normal thing. Yeah. And last question, I promise. Do you know the oldest airline still operating? Not for fact, but I'm going to guess it's KLM, given our topic of conversation. 
Yes, you're right. It's KLM with its first flight in 1920, which is more than 100 years ago. Great. I actually remember a few years back seeing a very sweet Instagram video from KLM where it might have been their 100th anniversary or 90 something, but they interviewed someone who was also that old, born the same year that KLM was founded. It has quite a history, almost as long as aviation itself. Yeah. So it's obviously fascinating to think about how quickly aviation technology and global connectivity has really changed between then and now. But now we also know a little bit more about the impacts emissions from aviation have on the planet. It's thought that nearly 4% of all of Europe's greenhouse gas emissions come from aviation, for example. Globally, it's said that half of the emissions from aviation are caused by 1% of the population, which goes back into that small Mm. population of people who've ever been on a plane. Technology for lower impact long haul flights won't really be where it needs to be for a while. But that doesn't mean that airlines aren't also grappling with this issue like we are. KLM has often been praised for its sustainability efforts, and they've actually been on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index for about 15 years. So let's sit down with someone who's working on the inside to make a difference and learn about the conversations, actions, and policies that are shaping aviation from KLM's side. Okay, let's go over now to our conversation with Hedvig Sietzma, Director of Climate Policy at KLM. My name is Hedwig Sietzma and I work for KLM Royal Dutch Airlines. Where are your favorite places to travel to in the Netherlands? Oh, I love our islands. We have these islands in the north of the Netherlands and the one I love the most is Ter Schelling. When I was young, we never went by plane. I only flew once when I was 12 to Malta, um, but we always used to sail in the Netherlands and we always, every holiday, we used to go to Ter Schelling. It's a beautiful place where you can ride your bike everywhere. There's beach, of course, because it's an island, but especially uh, the the dunes, those are amazing. That landscape is is really nice. You can see sea lions there. It's beautiful. And what do you do for KLM? So I work in the sustainability office. I'm responsible for climate policy. That means that I make the policy in climate for KLM and that I'm talking to policymakers about the climate policy in aviation. Has it become quite normal for airlines to have a department that thinks about sustainability and a role like yours? Yes, I think so. I think it has become more normal for airlines, for KLM. It has been normal for quite a while uh, already. Before we called it the sustainability office, we had this CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Department, which has already been here since before I ever worked at KLM. So it has been important for us, but the role is definitely changing. We were talking a little bit about your own travel experiences and how impactful they can be. Can you tell me about your your time in Myanmar? Yeah, sure. After I went to university, uh, I started working for an NGO uh, and they uh, they sent me to Myanmar. Uh, I was part of the team who did finance, HR, logistics and was uh, in charge of security. Um, I was working there on projects, for example, with the Rohingya or refugees that are in Myanmar. And it was, for me, it was life-changing to be in a country that was so different from my own, to live there, experience life there, but also see what is really happening in the world and that we have a very privileged life here in the Netherlands, or I have a very privileged life here in the Netherlands. 
and that life could be a lot different if I would have been born somewhere else. And it changed my view on the world and the responsibility that I feel to also do something in this world makes a bit of a difference. That yeah, makes sense. It, it's really special how the travel experience can rip you out of what you know yeah. and give you that experience. Do you think a lot of the people that you work with and the people in our industry joined the industry because of what you're describing? Yes, I do. I think, at least when I look at my own colleagues, uh, there's something magic about traveling. And in KLM's case, there's something magic about traveling and then getting into a plane that feels like home. And I think that experience brought most of uh, the employees at KLM to KLM because we're able to create that kind of that magic experience. We've been spending the week traveling around the Netherlands and talking to different people in the travel sector about how travel can make places better and how travel can make the world better and the tension between the impact that travel has and the benefits that it brings. And it feels like in the Netherlands there's a collective consciousness here that, that is maybe a little further ahead than other countries in terms of that tension and, and trying to reconcile it and trying to grapple with it. How do you see the tension between the amazing positive benefits that travellers bring to people and society with the impact that travel has? Yeah. So if we go back in history for a little bit, in 1944, the ICAO assembly, that was an assembly back then that w went about aviation, they said, we never want to have a war like we had the Second World War ever again. And we think that aviation can can bring peace. So we're going to put aviation aside. We're not globally going to tax it. We're not taking measures to hold aviation back. We want people to see the world and um, we want them to travel so we can keep peace. I think this is a very important background for us because this gave aviation a special place and it is still very beautiful to travel. You see another country, you get respect for the culture. It, it, it really brings something. On the other hand, I think it's very good that we have this societal debate about also the impact that aviation has on this world because it, it has a negative side effect on our environment. Um, and we should fully acknowledge that. And that dilemma between on the one side wanting to travel for this cultural experience, for uh, keeping peace in the world, and on the other hand, not make it too much because it's really harming the environment. I think that it, that debate is very strong at this moment in, in the Netherlands and rightfully so. Do you think a lot of airlines are grappling with that? I know that you at KLM are very conscious of it and it, it's coming more under scrutiny. A lot of us have had time to pause and reflect about the way life is during the last few years. Do you think that's something that, that people are more widely starting to grapple with? I think more and more. So I see more airlines seeing the importance of becoming more sustainable as an industry. But it's not something that is already spread through the whole world. We see, see still airlines putting all of their focus and effort in creating short-term revenues into only wanting to grow. And I think that they haven't grappled that yet. It's 
not surprising to me to see a European airline leading the way in grappling with that. I think that's that's very typical and it's one of the reasons I love when I get to come to Europe and see a different way of thinking about things in a more balanced way. How do you see the future of aviation when you think about the technological challenges that we have to overcome and the current balance that we have? How do you think about the coming decades? I think traveling will become more valuable again for some people in the world, certainly not for everybody. It's really easy to get into a plane, fly somewhere for a weekend, have a party and go back. I think that in the future, every trip that you make will be a trip that you really remember and a trip that you will have saved for and a trip that you will therefore value much more. So I think maybe the frequency will go down, but once you take the step to get into an airplane and to visit a place, it will be of more value. I've seen Amsterdam and Schiphol in the news a lot recently. What are your perspectives on some of the the developments? I think this is bubbling up from Dutch values and the climate legislation here in Holland, that Amsterdam's residents are putting a lot of pressure on the tourism sector to find the right balance, right? And including the right tourists and partly caused by the labor challenges that the world is experiencing, that Schiphol is starting to look at what's the right balance of flights. How do you think about that in the broader context of the challenges we're facing? I think indeed that we should find this right balance and that we should diminish the impact that we have, that we should minimize our CO2 impact, that we should really look into the uh, noise that we make for our environment here, for people living around Schiphol, and listen to them and take measures accordingly. Uh, However, sometimes in a hot debate, it can go either one side or the other side, and it can get rough. And in this case, I think we have to make really deliberate decisions that can, for a long time, help us Uh, to really diminish the impact and not only focus on, for example, the movements that we have now. It really should have long-term effect. And I think sometimes in this debate, we lose sight of the longer term and of the things that we should do on the longer term. One of the things that I think we do ourselves a disservice is oversimplifying very complicated issues. And I often think about this issue is the most complicated issue that I know of. And it's so nuanced and it's so simple in a a world driven by social media and quick media headlines to try to want to simplify it. How do you feel personally as a human being who is aware and trying to reconcile a complicated issue? Sometimes it's hard talking to friends and family about the job that I do. So you're pro-sustainability, yeah, you're, you're trying to, to live the best way you can, but you also work for an airline and you love traveling. And sometimes that doesn't go hand in hand. I think it is especially important that people that care for the environment, that care for this planet, are working in an industry like this. Because this is the place where you can make a change. Uh, This is the place where uh, you can lead uh, the industry in a different way. This is the place where this change needs to happen. For me personally, as a human being, it 
it feels sometimes like being discredited or put in the box like you're wrong, you're in the wrong industry. Think that everyone has its role to play and this is mine. We've talked a little bit about the human element and that we often forget that in companies you have a lot of people in different roles with fancy titles but at the end of the day we're all just people with a lot of the same values. What do you wish people knew? If there was something that you could help people to know or understand, what would it be? It is the impact that we have as human beings on other human beings in this world. So that the way that we live here is directly impacting the food security, the the way someone lives in another country. It's directly impacting them. One of the things that KLM focuses on is being net positive. Can you describe to me how you see all of the different positive things that aviation can bring? Yeah. So first of all, I want to say that we're really not there yet. This negative climate effect that we have, like we recognize that and we see that as one of our biggest challenges. However, aviation also brings positive effects. Like we just talked about the value of traveling culturally, it bringing cultures more together, but it also has economic effect for certain places. If we open a destination, this destination will get economic value. There are, of course, also side effects like over-tourism, but it also brings economic value. Uh, and finding that balance that is sometimes hard, but also important for us. I really like the idea of leadership from within and I think if we become binary and see things as only bad or only good you lose the chance for dialogue and you lose the chance to make really positive changes from within. I think one of the best examples for me is watching what happened in Amazon within the corporate headquarters where a lot of the people working in corporate were very frustrated that Amazon wasn't doing more in regards to its climate footprint and there were protests and agitation from within the company. I think this is a huge risk for corporations that aren't taking things seriously. But that resulted in a, a $2 billion uh, investment fund to, to help accelerate a lot of early stage technology that could help Amazon to decarbonize. And their, their $10 billion you know, climate pledge that they've attracted other people to as well. And I think that's a really good example of what people can do from within. Do you think everyone is thinking this way in Holland within KLM? Do you think everyone has realized that we have a very complex issue to work through? No, not everyone is looking at it this way. It's at KLM, we, there were so many people here. It's like um, a mirror of society, we always say. So no, but on the other hand, what we saw, what was our employee activism, just to say it like this, which came not from irritation, but more seeking of opportunities, in COVID, we, we saw this movement coming up, started by a few employees, top management to uh, young employees who wanted to make an, uh, an impact in our company. We all sat at home and uh, we wanted to start an initiatives and we called it the bold moves. We were sitting there thinking of, of bold moves in which we could make the aviation industry more sustainable and our company more sustainable. And actually what came out of that was the sustainable flight challenge. And this is a, a challenge now adopted by a broader umbrella uh, by, by Sky Team. But we initiated this, uh, this challenge to get employees to think about how can we just for one flight make this flight the most sustainable one we've ever flown. 
and put employees in charge to create new innovations or different things they've always wanted to try on board to make this the most sustainable flight. And we actually executed this. So for us, it was a great example of how employees can stand up, can convince top management uh, and say, we're going to do things differently and then uh, create in a more fun, challenging way, get people together to talk about sustainability. And now 22 airlines are joining. So we're actually having a ripple effect, which is really great to see. What sort of experience or changes happened? It was from big to small. So first, our pilots flew a much more economical route uh, and saving fuel by that. It's also in the cockpit, it's behavior. Uh, it's the same as in a car. How you fly can make a difference because you can save fuel uh, in the cockpit. But it's also in the smaller things, like we served seaweed meatballs on board. So have seaweed, have meat. So we could really reduce the footprint of our meals. This year, we might actually go again a bit further. Our cabin attendants, they didn't wear the heels, the higher heels, but they wore the flat shoes just for health benefits. So we looked on everything on the spectrum at cargo day. They looked into how they could replace beams, which they're packaging with lightweight beams so we could save fuel again. So it were very diverse measures that we took but resulting in everyone to have the chance to be innovative and think in their own job, in their own work, how can we do this more sustainably? One of the challenges that happens in organizations is commitments without follow-through. And recently, there was a financial bond that KLM tied to ESG goals. Can you speak to that and talk about how that perhaps is a model for corporations going forward, that our commitments in environmental sustainability are actually linked to the financial goals of the organization? Yes, especially the aviation industry has a history of having commitments, but sometimes it's hard following up on them. We made recently made a new commitment. We said that we would use our CO2 emissions by uh, relatively by 30% in 2030 compared to 2019. It's a validated goal by an independent institute called the Science-Based Targets Initiative. And what that does, that gives investors and banks in this case, it gives them the trust that you're also following a certain path and that you're diminishing your CO2 emissions. Linking financial agreements to, to ESG, I think it's a very good way forward. It's a way from the banks on in putting pressure on their value chain, putting pressure on us to really decarbonize uh, and to incentivize decarbonization. So it is not only a burden, but it also becomes, again, an opportunity because you can actually uh, have a discount when you, when you decarbonize. I think it's a great road that we're taking now to also link our own goals to financial commitments that we make. There's a lot of focus on airlines at the moment. And it's always difficult to communicate and choose the right words. And I think there are a lot of people like you in organisations like this and in the travel industry generally who are very well-intentioned. And it's easy to misinterpret words and headlines. Uh, how, how are you communicating about the work that you are doing to explore sustainability and find the right balance? And, and what have you learned about communication? So I think we went wrong in the past. We made a couple of mistakes. And that's, for example, in terminology that you use. We, for example, had our CO2 zero program, 
which was you could invest money in reforestation programs. And we were told, and rightfully so, that we couldn't use the term CO2 zero anymore because that indicates that you don't emit any CO2 in the air. So we changed the name to CO2 impact program. This is a small example that shows you should be very careful in the way that you communicate. And we learn constantly. We want to be very transparent, correct, but also understandable. And the latter is very difficult in sustainability because it's a very complex topic. If I talk about the CO2 equivalent that you emit into the air and is contributing to the densification of CO2, you won't understand it as a customer. I want you to understand what your impact is when you take a flight. So that's a really thin line we have to balance and that we're constantly searching for the right way. What I recently learned in a conversation with an NGO, they're helping us quite a bit in figuring out what we should do and what we should focus on. They said to us, you should talk much more in dilemmas. It's amazing that someone from our cabin staff found a way to recycle our coffee pads. That's amazing. So you can communicate about that. However, it's not solving the problem. Of course not. It's great that someone is so engaged that they're solving how we should recycle coffee pads. However, we have this whole other big problem that we uh, encounter, which is the CO2 emission uh, and the climate impact that we have. So always talking dilemmas. And I think that's the way we should also as an industry focus on more and more being absolutely transparent about our impact. And when we communicate, make sure that the dilemma is very clear also for our customer. Do you think that our industry can actually put positive pressure on suppliers? Because the problem isn't flying per se. The problem is that in the way we're flying at the moment, it has an impact. And so if you think about the aircraft manufacturers and the energy companies that currently supply us, do you think there's, there's ways that we can positively ask them to be innovating? We are asking manufacturers at this moment to come up with solutions for air travel. I think this pressure is needed in our industry to make change happen. On the other hand, it's not an easy job for them as well um, because the technology is just not there yet, which means indeed more money should go into R&D. We should work together with knowledge institutions as well as our government, as well as the industry. Uh, as a whole industry, I think uh, we have the responsibility to make technological advancement happen and pressure on them, uh, that works. It's not only a responsibility, it's a must-do. So when we look into our emissions, it's not only our own emissions that come out of the airplane that we should think about, it's also the emissions in our value chain. So we should push the oil manufacturers to go beyond kerosene, to invest in sustainable aviation fuel, to also give us other levers to turn on to be able to fly. They're in charge of the demand of, for example, sustainable aviation fuel. Yes, it's a must-do for them, and we should put pressure also on our whole value chain um, to make sustainability the core of their strategic values. A lot of the most exciting innovation that's coming brings us to slower and more local travel, right? Electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft are gonna change the way we think about mobility. 
and it's probably going to happen quicker than people realize. Uh, a lot of that technology exists and short haul aviation, whether it's battery electric or hydrogen aviation is, is coming. Do you think there's exciting opportunities for our industry? Yeah, very much. I think, for example, electrical flying, it is not solving our problem of our long haul flights, but for our short haul flights, it is definitely going to be a replacement for some destination that we fly to now on kerosene. But also, for example, Kalem Flight Academy is now wanting to fly on electrical planes only. So it's, again, a very small step if you look at the greater scheme. However, it is already happening that we're investing in flights that don't have CO2 or other climate emissions. When do you think the moral obligation to cut our CO2 and greenhouse emissions more broadly trumps the bottom line? I think there is a big shift going on for companies to focus much more on societal value instead of only focusing on margins, on revenue. I think it's our moral responsibility to focus on societal impact as well as making sure that we're still a vital company that can live through the current days as well. Um, So I think it's both. We should have a positive impact overall. So that means including the responsibility to reducing your CO2 emissions. And I'm very happy to see that shift, that we're really going from being successful as a business by making a lot of revenue to being successful as a business by creating a lot of value for society, including the revenue aspect. And I think that shift is very necessary because we see that the way of the way we did business is not contributing to our earth, to our planet, and is actually damaging to the place that we live on. So we should see this shift. And the regulator always comes comes later. We see the shift now of companies doing this in their own way, in their own time. And now we see the regulator also coming in, focusing on this as well. In Europe, we have something called CSRD. It's the framework in which you have to report on all of your ESG factors. And I think this is also a way for regulators to say more and more, this is not only your responsibility, but this is just the law. You should instead of you may. So it's not only a question of responsibility, but also of making this into our laws and making sure that companies have to abide by this. So as it often is, it is both. If I gave you a magic wand and a blank checkbook and made you in charge of the world, (laughs) what would you do? If you gave me a magic wand, I would make sure that we put policies in place and measures in place to cut the emissions of the global north, to say it like that, and make sure that the climate impact that we see happening right now in countries like uh, Pakistan hit by the climate crisis, but did not have or had a very small part in the uh, factors that are contributing to the climate crisis, that we would really help them be more climate resilient. I think that is our responsibility. That is why I think that we should indeed reduce our own emissions and that is 
why I do the work that I do. But unfortunately, that doesn't <laughs> that does not exist at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Are you hopeful or frightened for the future? I think I'm both. I think that I'm frightened for the period in which we're not seeing the full picture yet and therefore not acting. But I think that in the end, when catastrophes will hit, that humankind will be able to turn this around. Um, but I'm afraid before, for the period that comes before that. What gives you hope? We've shown through the past that we're very resilient, that we're a very resilient species. I think that if we have to, you saw this during COVID, like suddenly things were able that we didn't think were able at all. And we came off okay. So that gives me hope. We're very resilient and very, very innovative, but only if we have to. Uh, and I think a time will come that we will have to be much more innovative and much more resilient than at this, uh, at this moment. I often think about it, and I, I totally agree, and I often think about it uh, in, in terms of us being very good at doing our homework at the last minute. Yeah. And we definitely left it at the last minute. It can be quite overwhelming to work in our space and understand climate and the impacts that we're having. And it can be even harder when you experience the tension that you described, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're working in an industry in, in travel or aviation and it, it's becoming more widely known and collective consciousness is rising around impact versus benefits. What are the things in your life that bring you joy? I'm actually counting the tons of CO2 that I save here. So all the measures that we implement that, that save CO2, that is something that brings me joy in my work. <laughs> Let me put it like that. What brings me joy in life is my friends, my family, the people that surround me, the community that I have around me in this very small space in a small city in the Netherlands. You don't have to go far to find community, to find cohesion, to find friends around you they're actually really close by. So it's not, I think in the end, it's not about going far or making those trips. It's the company that you have with you or the mindset that you have with you that makes traveling worthwhile, that makes living worthwhile and the cohesion in the community that you feel. So that gives me joy in life. It's amazing how similar answers are to that question. What advice do you have for other people working in travel around the world as they go on their journey of understanding environmental impacts and have to reconcile that with the jobs they do? See sustainability as a potential and see it as a need to have for the future. If you still want to exist as a travel company in the future, sustainability has to be part of the product that you offer. You won't have a choice anymore. And if you change now, that will be of very much value in the future. Earlier on in our conversation, you mentioned leadership and the chance for companies to lead. What does leadership mean to you? For me, leadership is not only seeing what we have to do, but take the responsibility to drive this company to make hard choices, to influence people inside the company, to take them along on the right 
to make sure that we do not only exist for the next few years, but that we can exist also in the coming hundred years in a sustainable manner. And I think it is leadership to talk about certain topics that we often shy away from and to challenge people uh, on the topics that we often shy away from. What do you think that KLM can teach the world? That it is awesome to be a front runner in the industry. We were back in the 1900s and we want to become a front runner again, but then in sustainability and pioneering sustainability. And that's not a risk that we take, that's an opportunity that we grab. But So we need people and airlines to join us. And I want to tell other airlines, it's great to, uh, to be in that place and, and to join us for, for the ride or the flight. What are you most proud of in your work? What accomplishments are you really, really proud of? I've been working a lot on the CO2 targets I just talked about. For me, committing to a target, that's not something that we thought of, but really committing to a target that's based on science. For me, I'm really proud we did that as a company. When you look back in 10 years on your impact, what do you hope you say? I hope I see a company, KLM, that has been able to follow up on its strategic goals to really become a front runner in sustainable aviation. I hope that we see uh, small steps because it's gonna be small steps in 10 years, but that we took those steps to make sure that in the future we're ready to really transform. I hope that the company, maybe that's not concrete enough, but I hope that the company will be at a point where deliberate choices were made to become more sustainable. I know it's not easy to talk about these topics. I really appreciate you sitting down and taking time to do that. It's uncomfortable, and I think that's why we really need to talk about it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I love to talk about it. And for me, I talk about this all day, so it's not uncomfortable anymore. But um, I'm really glad that we had this conversation and that you're able to open up the debate on this and not only show one side or the other, but combine maybe two views that are not often combined. It's almost therapeutic. It's almost therapeutic. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Travel Beyond presented by Destination Think. And you just heard from Hedvig Sietzma, Director of Climate Policy, KLM. We'll include links to more resources on the blog for this episode at destinationthink.com. My co-host and co-producer is David Archer. He also composed the Travel Beyond theme music. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. We would like to thank NBTC for their support in creating this podcast season with us and for their willingness to be bold. You can help more people find this show by subscribing and leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Next time, we'll speak with Hirta Udo of Amsterdam and Partners about how and why they're redefining what it means to be a visitor of value. If we do not invest in a more sustainable future. You will be out of business in five to 10 years. And then it's not out of business from tourism. Then it's out of business of being an attractive city to live and to work and to create.